Broadcasting from the campus of Loyola University, it's 88.7 WLUW, Chicago Sound Alliance. Thank you for joining me every Sunday morning at 11 here on 88.7 FM WLUW. Got an hour uninterrupted of your favorite small town kid. Go to the Loyola Phoenix, Nick Schultz. I know Sister Jean pretty well. I think he's the sports editor. There. He is. Right. He's a sports he's editor. Yeah. Sports good, columnist, sports writer. And, uh, and there's a, there's... I'd be lying if I said I wasn't watching baseball in class. Nick Schultz, who is a, a rising star in the profession. Our guy, Nick Schultz, covers oil for the student newspaper there, the oil of Phoenix. I have to keep pinching myself <laughs> and asking if this is real. I cannot believe this is happening. I'm a poor, starving college student, so I would say I was physically here, but I wouldn't say I was mentally here. Even with a global pandemic going on and so much else going on in our world, there is a bright spot. Spring training is here. Baseball is back. Really excited to get back to talking baseball on the field. We've had a lot of off-the-field storylines to follow this offseason, but baseball is nearing its full return. Talking a lot about spring training and so much more today on the Sunday Sports Shootout here on WLUW 88.7 FM. I'm your host, Nick Schultz, here with you until noon It is so great to be back with you for another week, especially talking spring training. Pitchers and catchers reported this week. Cubs and Sox are getting things rolling at their respective camps in Arizona. And naturally, more questions were raised surrounding the hiring of Tony La Russa as White Sox manager. It feels like every time we're ready to move on, and talk about what he can do on the field. There is something else about his hiring that comes back up, and this week was no different. Bob Nightingale at USA Today put out this really cool story. He had a sit-down interview with Tony La Russa. It was his first sit-down interview since being hired by the White Sox, his first one-on-one interview, I should say. This came out the other day on February 17th, and it's actually really cool reading these quotes from Tony La Russa about his journey, how he's being hired by the White Sox, how if the Hall of Fame would have been taken away from him, he wouldn't have taken the job because this is the first time a manager in the Hall of Fame has gone back to baseball after retiring. And it was really cool. And say what you want about Bob Nightingale, and trust me, I know I've said plenty, and he's very connected with the White Sox and the Ryan Stores. He was the only one on this story about La Russa being hired by the White Sox. And everybody, including me, you can find the podcast, even me, laughed at him. We weren't sure this was real. There was no way this could be real. Here we are now. It's February. White Sox manager Tony La Russa, part two. And this goes through the story talking about how La Russa got hired. It's a new era. Questions remain. And toward the bottom of the story, he kind of buried this. This is actually the last subheadline in the story. Now, this is a lengthy story. You can read it at USA Today. The last subheadline is how do you provide leadership after being arrested for drinking and driving less than a year ago? And you read through. This is a legitimate question to ask because obviously, if you Forgot, back in November, ESPN reported that Tony La Russa had been arrested for DUI. This came out 11 days after he was hired. It was not a popular hire to begin with. And you read, you read through this thinking this piece is really cool. And you get to this paragraph, it says, La Russa informed Angels owner Artie Marino, because La Russa was working for the Angels at the time, of the arrest the following day and offered to resign. Moreno kept him all season. When the White Sox started the interview process with La Russa in October, he also told Reinsdorf of the incident. Reinsdorf didn't share it with anyone. The arrest... Wait a minute. Reinsdorf didn't share it with anyone? Yeah, that's word for word from this story. 
we heard that the White Sox were aware of the DUI charge against Tony LaRussa. Because this was, I want to say this was a February arrest. Yes, it was a February arrest in 2020. We heard the White Sox were aware of it. Was the quote that the White Sox are aware of the situation actually code for Jerry was aware of the situation? Because you got to remember, Tony LaRussa is Jerry Reinsdorf's buddy. They, they're close. That is, a, that is a really good friendship between those two. Reinsdorf didn't share it with anybody. That's insane. And then, that day, this was the same day, the new Parkins and Spiegel show on 670 The Score, it reunited Matt Spiegel and Danny Parkins. I think I mentioned this last week, but I'll mention it again. Really happy that Danny and Matt are together again. I listened to them when they were Spiegel and Parkins. And now they're back. Obviously, the name is flipped. And they had Bob Nightingale on the show. This was in the 5 o'clock hour, so they go till 2 to 6. The show had another 45 minutes-ish left when Bob Nightingale came on the radio. And I was going to pull the sound, but I didn't. But there are quotes here on the Parkins and Spiegel Twitter page that help me make my point. They usually do the show promos, saying, set to join us in just over five minutes, it's Bob Nightingale. He's gotten the Tony La Russa stuff right this whole time. And that's, that's true. I give, I give Nightingale all the credit in the world. Everybody laughed at him, including myself, and he turned out to be right. Here's the next tweet about the interview with Nightingale on 670 The Score. Bob Nightingale just told us Rick Hahn didn't find out about the Tony La Russa DUI arrest until the day it went public. Next tweet. And now he just backtracked and said he's not sure. What exactly is happening? Who was told what and when were they told? This is bad. And I have I, I had the quotes from Rick Hahn in the press conference. I'll, I'll get to it. LaRusso addressed it as well. I'll get to that. But that kind of took me back a bit, seeing that tweet from at Park and Spiegel. Let me repeat that. Bob Nightingale just told us Rick Hahn didn't find out about the Tony LaRussa DUI arrest until the day it went public. And now he just backtracked and said he's not sure. And I'm thinking, okay, maybe this is the case of Richard Justice kind of did a similar thing on ESPN 1000 where he said something and took it back right away when he was pressed on it. I thought this was going to be over. No. No, it was not over. The very next tweet from the interview with Bob Nightingale. Quote, If Rick Hahn would have said, I'm walking away if you hire Tony LaRussa in brackets, then Reinsdorf in brackets, wouldn't have hired him. If Hahn put his foot down, it wouldn't have happened. And you could hear the Sox fans renewing their anger over this hire because they did not want Tony LaRussa to be their manager. And this is how it's all going down. There has not, whenever this gets brought up, it seems like it's always something getting in the way. Because I said this when he was hired, and this was before the DUI news broke. You have arguably the best baseball mind alive today, and I'd say maybe second to Joe Torre as your manager, and people don't like it. I said at the time, this guy is a bona fide baseball genius. He's got three World Series rings. He's in the Hall of Fame for a reason. I said to give him a chance. Obviously, then the DUI charges came out. And I'm like, okay, you know, this is bad. This is really bad. If they really wanted to move on from it, he'd have resigned and they'd have done another managerial search. But they're sticking with him. They're sticking with their guy. Well, Jerry's guy. And it's been a PR nightmare, basically. 
And of course, this is with spring training starting, so the White Sox have their Zoom calls now, their Zoom press conferences, which it is just crazy to think about. I, I just want to acknowledge this. A year ago, right now, spring training was going on like normal. It is absolutely insane to think about. Now we're having Zoom press conferences at spring training, and people are covering spring training from Chicago, where it has been subarctic. It's just hard to fathom sometimes how much has changed within the last 365 days. But Rick Hahn's Zoom press conference at spring training, he was obviously asked about the USA Today report indicating that Reinsdorf didn't tell the front office about Tony LaRusso's arrest. And this quote is in The Athletic uh, by James Fegan, who does great work covering the White Sox at The Athletic. Here is the quote from Rick Hahn. As I sit here today, really of all days, a day when there's optimism and excitement and we're back together, same place for the first time in a while, and we have World Series aspirations, I'm not that interested in sort of going through the hiring process and decision and communication of the internal elements of that. My focus is not on rehashing something that happened four or five months ago. It's about the excitement that we feel as we get ready to try and win a championship. I know that's probably an unsatisfying answer, but honestly, that's as candid as I can be about the thing. First of all, if anybody was expecting him to come out and say, yeah, I didn't find out until it came, until the ESPN report came out, you're way off, because that was never going to happen. You, A, he works for Jerry Reinsdorf. Let's just keep that out there. And B, you will never have a GM throw their owner under the bus to the media. Because, this goes back to point A, he works for Jerry Reinsdorf. Jerry is very loyal. Look at Kenny Williams. Kenny Williams is still with the organization. Rick Hahn was not going to go out there and throw Jerry Reinsdorf under the bus. That was not going to happen. That was, that's the answer that we all, that I expected at least. That's the answer that everybody should have expected. Now, I tried looking for the audio of this because most of the teams in town put their press conferences out at some point. The Bears do their periscopes. The Bulls do their periscopes. I want to say the Cubs do too. Maybe the Blackhawks. I've never tried for the Blackhawks press conferences. I looked for 10 minutes today. As I was getting ready for the show. This was about 10.30 today. I looked on YouTube, Twitter. I did a Google search anywhere to try and find this press conference in full. And I could not find it. My point is, when you're getting an answer like that, when you're getting a question like that where you know he's not going to answer it, you know going in that you're not going to get the answer that the fans want. The fans want answers to everything. And I get that. But Rick Hahn also has a job to do, and that is to have a good relationship with his owner so he can do what he wants as general manager. What I was going to look for, if I could find this clip, if I could find the press conference archive, was how Rick Hahn sounded giving that answer. Because I'm going to be honest, I have not heard him give this answer. I've only read it in The Athletic, and I've read it at a couple other places. I have not heard Rick Hahn give this answer. Because what you listen for there is, does he sound upset? Because that was the thing in the introductory press conference for Tony LaRussa was that you could kind of tell by looking at Rick that something was up, that this really wasn't his guy. You could kind of tell by picking up on the social cues like that. I have no insight as to how he sounded giving this answer. And then Tony La Russa was asked about this. And this quote is at 670 The Score, from Chris Emma. This was after Bob Nightingale was on Parkinson Spiegel on the score. And Chris wrote his story. Here's the quote from LaRussa. I'm sure Jerry must have told Rick and Kenny. I let them know. It was back in February. 
he and they decided to stay with me. So I, I'm just, I'm confused. So did, did Tony tell Jerry and Jerry said, it's fine, we're still going to hire you? And Jerry just didn't tell anybody? Or did, did Tony just not mention this in any conversations with Rick Hahn and Kenny Williams? Like, I, I th- this whole thing, it, it was fumbled from the start. I think we can all agree on that. But it's not getting any better. Because every time it seems like we're ready to start talking about the White Sox on the other, it'd be, who's going to DH this year? How's Michael Kopech going to look? Both of which I'm going to talk about in just a couple minutes. Right as we're ready to move on, something else comes up from this hire, and the White Sox have to go on the, de- on the defensive. I don't know how this is going to end up. I don't know how much more we're going to hear about the hiring process for the White Sox bringing Tony LaRussa back to the south side. But the last week did not help. And as I said when I started this segment, say what you want about Bob Nightingale. He's been off before. Like when he tweeted a couple weeks ago that Trevor Bauer was going to the Mets. Spoiler, Trevor Bauer is going to the Dodgers. He's been off on stuff. He has been 100% right on this LaRusa stuff from the beginning. He was all over this. I'm pretty sure he's the only reporter in the game with a direct line to Jerry Reinsdorf. This is going to be very interesting as the season goes on, and hopefully it's as the White Sox find some success. Because I said last year, I said the last couple years, actually, they needed a manager who knew how to win. You have a guy who knows how to win now. You don't have anyone else, really, in baseball who's won like Tony La Russa outside of Joe Torre who will not manage again. I still say your top two baseball minds right now that are alive, Joe Torre and Tony La Russa. Two best baseball minds in the world right now. You have one of them leading your team. On the field, I have no doubt that baseball-wise, fundamentally speaking, the White Sox are going to take a huge leap from last year. Now, obviously, and I mentioned this when he was hired, the game has changed more in the last 10 years than it did in the time that LaRusa managed the Cardinals. Last 10 years has been huge. Now remember, LaRusso retired in 2011. Since then, the game has changed with more flair and analytics and sabermetrics. If there's anybody who can adjust to this, it's Tony LaRusso. Because you saw what he did in Oakland. He is the first manager I can think of off the top of my head in St. Louis who batted the pitcher eighth because analytics told him it'd be better. Because your nine hitter could essentially be a backup leadoff hitter. He's innovative. Give him a chance on the field. The off the field BS, we'll worry about that later. Let's look on the field. On the field, people are asking questions about Michael Kopech. Because he didn't pitch last year. He opted out of the season. And I know people criticized him, but you know what? The guy had a reason for it. He's got a lot going on. I do not fault him one bit for opting out of last season. So now as we get into spring training, we have reporters there, videos coming out, and people, including Tony La Russa, saying, Michael Kopech's looking good. I don't necessarily agree with him coming out as a starter because guys who throw as hard as Michael Kopech does, and I'm talking more than 100 miles an hour, they usually don't last as starters. They're usually relievers, maybe your firemen, there's a term, your, your closers, your setup guys. Obviously, he's not going to close because you got, you're paying Liam Hendricks $54 million. He's your closer. I don't care how bad he is. If he is bad, he's going to be your closer. But Michael Kopech starting? I don't know. Maybe long relief would be a good fit. We'll see. Maybe he can be effective as a starter. Who knows? I don't want to jump to conclusions. But apparently, he's looking good. And that's, that should make Sox fans really happy hearing that. But the other 
Big, big question through spring training. Who is going to be the designated hitter? Everyone's quick to say it's got to be Andrew Vaughn because the White Sox did not add a DH. Edwin Encarnacion is gone. He had a bad year last year. I mean, that was just, he was not good last year. So he's gone. That's your DH. So is Andrew Vaughn your DH? Has Andrew Vaughn played in the big leagues yet? Even I don't even. I know he's been a highly touted prospect. I like him. I don't know if he should be your opening day DH for this team that could easily, very easily, compete for a World Series championship. My solution to the designated hitter issue is already on the team. Everybody knows who he is. Eloy Jimenez. Now you're probably wondering, oh, who goes into left field if Eloy's DHing? Funny you should ask. What do we think of Adam Engel? Defensively speaking, I'm, I'm, the offense we'll talk about maybe another time. I'm talking defense. What do we think of Adam Engel? Because Luis Robert and Adam Eaton are set in center field and right field. If it were me, now I'm not the Hall of Fame manager here. I'm just a kid who played baseball in high school and umpires when there's not a pandemic going on. If it were me, your outfield would be Angle, Robert, and Eaton. And Eloy Jimenez would be your DH because he is, and I'm not out of bounds when I say this, he is quite literally a defensive liability. You saw it multiple times last year. He is a defensive liability. So, why not DH him? He'd be a good fit at the DH spot. He's got the bat. You've seen what he can do with the bat. The only problem I really see with Eloy is his defense. Well, that's an easy solution when you had the designated hitter. You can take that problem out of the equation immediately by just making him the DH. That's what I would do, is have Eloy, DH, Angle in left, Robert in center, Eaton in right. But as I said, I'm not the Hall of Fame manager. I understand the White Sox fans' problem, well, problems, with Tony La Russa, whether it be his, his comments about bat flips and the National Anthem, and I want to say he said some stuff about COVID, or whether it be his age. You cannot take away the fact that this man is a Hall of Famer. Even the Hall of Fame set, you can go back and manage and stay in the Hall of Fame. So it's not like he was a Hall of Famer. He is and always will be a Hall of Fame manager. He knows what he's doing. I have no doubt he will find the solution to the DH question. Maybe he'll use my solution. Who knows? Moral of the story here, if you're a Sox fan, now I'm a Cubs fan at heart, but I do watch the White Sox. I will never root against the White Sox. If you're a Sox fan, you should not be rooting for Tony La Russa to fail. It's the same argument I made with the Bears and Mitchell Trubisky. Bears fans should not have been rooting for Mitch to fail because then your team fails, and then you're not a real fan if you want your team to fail. Now, if you want them to tank, that's different in my opinion, but we're not talking a tank here. We're talking a World Series contender. I want to say they have the third or fourth best odds to win the World Series this year. You should not be rooting for your manager to fail this year. You should be rooting for your team to succeed and with that means your manager succeeding. Go out and win a ring. And Nightingale wrote this in his USA Today piece. If he goes out and wins a World Series, they're going to write a movie about it. If he fails, they're going to get laughed at even more. Do you want your team to get laughed at more? Or do you want to go out and win a World Series? I know which answer I'd choose. 
And trust me, I completely understand where people are coming from. I know there are plenty of issues with things Tony La Russa has said. And maybe his age, etc., etc. Maybe it, He's not A.J. Hinch, who would have been a home run higher. But he's still a Hall of Famer. And when it comes down to X's and O's, I have no doubt he'll make it work. Over in Mesa, Cubs are reporting to spring training with a familiar face back in the fold. I kind of touched on this last week. I was very Missouri Valley basketball heavy last week. So I kind of just touched on this in the last like five minutes before I realized I was almost out of time and I still had stuff to talk about. But this became official this week that Jake Arietta is a Cub once again. One-year deal with a mutual option for a second year. It is great to see a familiar face back. And the quote of the week came from Jake when he talked about how great it'll be to play for a manager who caught one of his no-hitters. Like, people don't think about that. That David Ross literally caught one of Jake Arrieta's no-hitters. So there is a close relationship there. And I know Jake struggled in Philadelphia. If there's anybody who can help him get back on the right track, it's the manager who caught one of his no-hitters. Because I know everybody jumps to the pitcher during no-hitters, and rightfully so. I mean, he, he's the one throwing the ball. But catchers are just as responsible for no-hitters as pitchers. There's a connection there. There's a relationship there. I think if Jake's going to get back on the right track, he's in the perfect situation. Back in familiar territory in Chicago. Hopefully there will be fans in the stands. I don't know what the plan is. I don't know what Lori Lightfoot's been saying. Now that the vaccines are out and people are getting second doses, including me, I get mine next week. I don't know what's going to happen with fans in the stands. But hopefully there will be some and Jake can be back in familiar territory. I'm just glad the Cubs signed a free agent. Well, like, that could make an impact. I know they signed Trevor Williams. I know they, they got Zach Davies in the U Darvish trade. I'm still I am not a Zach Davies fan, but hopefully it works out. They signed Jake Marismnik as well to help with outfield depth. He had a down year last year, but he's decent from my understanding. And Russ Dorsey in the Sun-Times brought up a good point in yesterday's Sports Saturday, which I love the Sports Saturdays for the Sun-Times. They're very well done, great stories. And this one especially, headline is lineup needs a lift. Basically, Russ is talking about the how Brizzo, Chris Bryant and Anthony Rizzo, can get back to their form and help basically save the offense. Because... All of Bryant, Rizzo, Wilson, Contreras, and Javier Baez had down years last year offensively. And I'm not putting an asterisk next to 2020. By the way, I know people are. They're saying, oh, it wasn't a full season. You can't count it as a, you can't count it as a full season. No, I'm not putting an asterisk there for anybody. So these four all had down years last year. And Russ writes in here, quote, The 2020 season le left a bad taste in the mouths of the Cubs hitters. Except for outfielders Ian Happ and Jason Hayward, no offensive player performed to his career average. Shortstop Javi Baez, third baseman Chris Bryant, catcher Wilson Contreras, and first baseman Anthony Rizzo all had subpar seasons, making it almost impossible for the offense to succeed. Still, because of the nature of the season, it's more difficult to know what's real and what's not. The small sample size of 60 games... And the external factors that came with the pandemic make it easy to point to factors that would impede offensive success. I acknowledge that, but I'm still not putting an asterisk next to last season. Some of the Cubs' offensive woes, however, has started to become trends. One area of concern for the Cubs last season was their inability to deal with velocity, something that was exposed against young Marlins fireballers Sandy Alcantara and Sixto Sanchez in the postseason. Teams weren't scared to be aggressive with the Cubs hitters last season, and it showed. The Cubs hit only 202 against power pitchers, 95 miles an hour or more, 
in 2020, which ranked 13th in the National League, and 209 against them in 2019, which ranked 11th in the NL. And I know Anthony Iaposi made this point in the article too. Pitchers are throwing faster now. You've got to be able to hit velocity. I mean, you're not going to be facing Kyle Hendricks every night, which I have, a, I have some thoughts on Kyle Hendricks here in a second. Just, I got to get a legal ID in here. But pitchers are throwing faster. You've got to be able to hit them. You've got to make the adjustments. As we hit the bottom of the hour, I want to remind you you're listening to the Sunday Sports Shootout on WLUW 88.7 FM, broadcasting from the campus of Loyola University. I'm currently broadcasting from my garage in Dwight, Illinois. It's very cold here. The temperatures are going up, but the temperature is cold still. There's still a lot of snow on the ground, so everybody be careful. The roads seem clear out now, but we got a lot of snow here, and it sucks. Someone who's not dealing with snow is Daryl Horwitz, who used to host this show. He just slid into my DMs saying he agrees on Kopech as a reliever and not a starter long-term. One interesting with LaRusa for his interview the other day. He arrived around an hour and 40 minutes late, keeping the media waiting. Great stuff on what Han knew, etc. with the Nightingale stuff. Yeah, I forgot about that part of this whole thing. Was that Tony LaRusa was literally almost two hours late to a Zoom call? That's a great first impression from a manager who has not gotten off to a good start especially because it's a Zoom call. I mean, (laughs) I've done Zoom calls from bed before. You just grab your computer, open it, open Zoom, click on the link, and you're good. So it's a good point from Daryl. Thanks again for listening. I hope you're enjoying sunny Charlotte. Hopefully it's warmer there than it is here. Because I'm reading 28 degrees here in central Illinois, which is better than the one degree that I think it was last week when I was doing the show. So we're getting there. We got a heat wave coming in. I think I saw 42 degrees on Tuesday. But back to the Cubs. I brought up Kyle Hendricks. And shout out to Brett Taylor at Bleacher Nation for pointing this out the other day. The futures bets are out on DraftKings, FanDuel, etc., if you're into sports betting. And Brett retweeted this tweet from Full Count Tommy. He's another, he's another Cubs blogger, I believe, on Twitter. NL Cy Young odds are out. Kyle Hendricks, the ace of the Cubs pitching staff, is plus 6,600. To win the NL Cy Young. If you don't know how odds work. If you're not into sports betting. Let me put it to you this way. A $100 bet. On Kyle Hendricks. To win the Cy Young award. As of of four days ago. Would net you. $6,600. Who are some of the guys in front of him, you might ask? One of them is Josh Hader. Yes, a relief pitcher. Josh Hader, the relief pitcher. Another name is Pablo Lopez. Okay. Maybe I'm in the dark on this. Maybe I'm just losing it. Does anybody know who Pablo Lopez is? Because I don't. I have no idea who this guy is. He is plus 5,000 to win the NL Cy Young Award. I have no clue who this guy is. John Gray, who threw 39 innings in 2020, is plus 6,000. And you know who is just in front of Kyle Hendricks for Cy Young odds? Jake Arietta, plus 6,000. And then you have Kyle Hendricks, plus 6,600. I don't know what it is now. I <laughs> I mean, that is just, oh my goodness. I mean, I know he doesn't throw hard. I know I just got through talking about how pitchers are starting to throw harder. And Kyle Hendricks is, for 
argument's sake, another Greg Maddox in terms of how hard he throws. Now, I'm not comparing the two because Greg Maddox was the first ballot Hall of Famer for a reason. But plus 6,600 on DraftKings to win the Cy Young? That's insane. That, that's got to change. I, I, I have no idea if that's still the odds. I, I, I meant to look, but I was coming up on Showtime. I'm going to see if I can't find it here while I'm talking. The joys of being my own producer and being the only one on here. But plus 6,600 is insane. Because he is, more often than not, one of the more consistent pitchers in baseball, and he was a Cy Young. He should have been in the running for the Cy Young a few years ago. In fact, I think you could have argued he should have won it. Like, that's insane. I've got the odds up right here. He is still plus 6,600 to win the Cy Young. The favorites are Jacob deGrom and Trevor Bauer, plus 500, plus 700, respectively. Kyle Hendricks is plus 6,600. The amount of disrespect is hilarious. On the field this year, Rowan Wick, one of the more consistent relievers in the bullpen, is down with an intercostal injury, which I'm no medical expert by any means. I was a journalism major for a reason. But from what I can gather from the Google is that it's basically a ribs or back injury. If there are any medical experts out there, please tell me what an intercostal injury is. I, I'm just uneducated, I guess. But um, I, I think it's like a rib, like a rib cage or a... I, I don't know. But he's not going to be available for the start of spring training. The bullpen still scares me, nonetheless. And I know the, the starting rotation is Hendricks, Arietta, Davies, Williams, Mills. I'm, I'm, the starting rotation isn't great. It's no Lester, Arietta, Hendricks, Darvish. I know Arietta and Darvish weren't there together, but I'm throwing out the names in this rotation. Even Quintana. Which if anybody wants to talk to me about the Jose Quintana trade, I will gladly talk about the Tatis Jr. trade for James Shields now that Fernando Tatis is one of the richest guys in baseball at 21 years old. So the rotation is shaky, but not bad. The bullpen, meanwhile, I'm worried about because... As I said, Rowan Wicks down with an injury. Jason Adam is another name in the bullpen. I'm also not real happy that Jeremy Jeffers is gone because he was pretty consistent. Craig Kimbrell is going to be your closer. Also in the bullpen, you have Dan Winkler, Andrew, I think it's Schaffin, and Brandon Workman, who was just added. He had a bad year last year. But I guess they're going to focus on his curveball. That's Gordon Sadev Sharma at the Athletic. Rex Brothers, Justin Steele are two other names to watch. Brad Wick is another one to keep an eye on. Maybe Jonathan Holder. If you've heard of most of these guys, I'm very impressed. And you could also see Edward Alzali in the bullpen if he's not in the rotation. I do like Edward Alzali. I think he's got good stuff. Maybe you could see him in the bullpen. Dylan Maples, oh, he just doesn't have the control. It's like Ricky Vaughn out there in terms of control. Gray Fenter from the Rule 5 draft could appear. Maybe Manny Rodriguez, who I've also never heard of. Basically, the bullpen is kind of a hodgepodge this year, is what it looks like. And I think Jed Hoyer has kind of alluded to that in his press conferences, is that they're, it's kind of trial and error. The bullpen scares me more than the rotation. So we're going to see what happens there. 
But the offense needs to wake up. And it goes back to the story from Russ Dorsey that I read you an excerpt of. The offense needs to wake up. Can't keep scoring one run. I want to say, and this is just because it's been a while, Cubs scored one run in the series against the Marlins. Let me repeat that. Against the Marlins. The Miami Marlins. They scored one run. The offense needs to wake up. And needs to wake up in a big way. Let's move on from baseball here. Because we've got 20 minutes left. Got some basketball. Professional and college to get to. I want to briefly talk some Bulls. Because they showed some good signs. This weekend. Especially in the game against the Philadelphia 76ers. When Joel Embiid dropped 50 points on the Bulls. And the Bulls were still in it. And that was a winnable game. They lost by seven, which the spread was seven, by the way. That is a, that's a bad push right there. Then they bounced back for a good win over the Sacramento Kings last night at the United Center. Zach Levine dropped 38 points. I mean, all-star rosters are announced on Tuesday. The coaches get to pick the rest of them. Because the, I want to say the starter pools are already out and set. If this guy is not an Eastern Conference All-Star, we're going to have mutiny. Because this guy, Zach Levine, is putting on a show. He, he's playing like he's got something to prove. And I hope he plays like this after the All-Star break, if he does make the game, which hopefully he does make the game. I hope he keeps playing like this. Because he's playing at a high level. And it's really impressive. Also, Wendell Carter is back from injury, which is a bigger boost than we all thought because Daniel Gafford just ain't it. I talked about this on the Believe in Bulls podcast last Wednesday. Be sure to check that out. Apple, Spotify, Google, wherever you get your podcast from. Having Wendell back is huge. Granted, it was a matchup nightmare against Joel Embiid. <laughs> An absolute Nightmare to watch because there's not many people, if anybody, who can stop. Joel Embiid, he's a seven-footer with great footwork. Wendell Carter at 6'10", who gets into foul trouble pretty easily. Not a great matchup. But I thought he held his own. I thought he did okay. But having him back to anchor the defense was big. The one player I want to see take a leap forward is Kobe White. He had a great game last night. He, uh, I've heard the counter-arguments about Kobe White point guard. And I know he's only played the point guard position in the NBA, what, 30 games? And you have to remember he's very young. This should be his junior year at North Carolina. I get all that. I He's better. I, I, let me rephrase that. He's more effective as a catch-and-shoot shooting guard. Which is exactly why I am still, I wouldn't say I'm calling for it with a megaphone, but I'm saying the Bulls need to seriously consider a guy like Lonzo Ball, who can facilitate from the point guard position and let Kobe be the number two that he's shown he can be. He needs to take a leap forward this year, and he hasn't. he's shown flashes. He had the historic performance with Zach Levine when they both dropped eight plus threes, which was good. I'm not discounting that. I know, he, I know he's young. I know he's still kind of a raw talent. But I think this is also showing where the Bulls are at because I keep saying they're a playoff team. And when I say a playoff team, I keep throwing this disclaimer out there. I'm talking eight seed in the East level playoff team. It's what they should have been last year. It's what I think they are this year with the coaching staff they have in place. If they were contending, Kobe White would not be being experimented at the point guard spot. 
but they're not quote-unquote contending. And when I say that, I'm talking contending for a title. Maybe experiment. See what happens. I know Billy Donovan said that he and Arturis Karnaschovas are going to meet here soon about the trade deadline. He said something along the lines of they talk every day, but there's going to be more substantive talks about the trade deadline coming up soon. Because trade deadline is now like March 25th or something like that, which is weird. But in this COVID year, everything got pushed back and it's crazy. Hopefully this is all over soon. But some good signs from the Bulls this weekend. There's still a lot of areas to improve. Also, I just want to make my weekly statement that I love Patrick Williams a lot. Did you see the 52-foot shot he had last night? He made a three-pointer from 52 feet. Why do I call it a three-pointer and not a 52-foot shot? Because in the post-game press conference, Patrick Williams, who is all of 19 years old, and I want to say he just turned 19 in like November. He is 19 years old, made a 52-foot shot to end the third quarter in an NBA game. And the post-game press conference said, and I quote, it was a three-pointer. I've made three-pointers before. What? <laughs> you? If it was, I'm, I'm 22 and I'd be in the press conference saying, yeah, I did that. That was awesome. He's 19 and just, yeah, I've made three-pointers before. I love this kid. I love Patrick Williams. I didn't know who he was until he was drafted, and the more I watch him play, I love the kid. I love him. I might turn my Twitter into a Patrick Williams stat account because I am just in love with this kid's game. He is so, he's not LaMelo Ball, who's, probably going to win rookie of the year. And I I love I love LaMelo Ball's game too. But what Patrick Williams is doing now as a raw talent, a young player, is he the youngest player in the game? I think he's the youngest player in the game. He's going to develop under this coaching staff, under this front office, learn the name Bulls fans know the name. The rest of the NBA needs to take notice because this kid is special. He put up the second double-double of the year last night. Learn the name Patrick Williams. And if you're one of those guys or one of those people who was ripping him, ripping the pick after the draft because you had no idea who he was because he didn't start at Florida State, you're going to want to take that back. And it doesn't matter that he didn't start at Florida State. Leonard Hamilton abides by the old Rick Majerus saying, starting for high school. He played starter minutes off the bench. I don't want to hear that as a knock. He's starting in the NBA, and he's doing a damn good job. Speaking of Coach Majerus, this is kind of a weird transition, but it works. One of his former assistants, his former top assistant, Porter Moser at Loyola, is coaching the number 22 ranked team in the country, which is kind of surprising that they're still ranked 22 because last week they had a, they, uh, last Sunday they lost in overtime to Drake, a good Drake team, 51 to 50. And I thought maybe they'd drop out of the rankings. I, I thought for sure they'd drop at least a spot or two. No, they stayed the same because they're riding the nation's top defense to the AP poll. And I have a feeling they'll stay there because some bubble teams lost this weekend and they did manage to win against Valpo. This is the second year in a row that Loyola and Valpo played at Gentile Arena and the final score came down to the referees with a 50-50 call. And I know Valpo fans will say it was not a 50-50 call, that it wasn't a foul, and Loyola fans will sit there saying it wasn't a 50-50 call because it was a foul. Last year, it was Marquise Kennedy getting a steal off Javon Freeman Liberty when Valpo fans were saying Marquise hit Freeman Liberty first. This year, it was Marquise Kennedy on the receiving end of a foul. That gave Loyola the ball and the 54-52 to win. 
the Ramblers are off this week. The next game is, I believe, on Saturday? Either Friday or Saturday against the Southern Illinois Salukis in the last series of the year. Yes, February is almost over. Arch Madness is coming soon. This weekend, Loyola SIU. And Loyola has a good chance to lock up another Missouri Valley title because my guy, Matt Hackman, who does a great job with all these er, these projections he does. Like, he is... This guy is unreal with these projections. Loyola, according to this, has a 66% chance of being the number one seed at Arch Madness. Drake is the only other team that can get the top spot at 34%. Now, let's look at the tiebreakers, because this is important. Here's how the tiebreakers are working in the Valley this year. Option number one, records and head-to-head competition are compared with the higher seed going to the team that has won the most games against the other. They split the season series. One and one. So, scenario number one, gone. Number two, if the tied teams did not play each other or split the series, then each team's record against all common conference opponents shall be used to determine the seeding. If they end up with a tied if they end up tying for first, I believe it would move to number three. Which is, if the teams are still tied, then each team's record against the highest common opponent in the conference standings shall be used to determine the seeding. Drake swept Indiana State, therefore Drake would get the number one seed. And that's because Indiana State's still in third in the Valley. And for just all intents and purposes, I'll tell you about scenario number four. If the teams are still tied, the deadlock will be broken using the net, as published by the NCAA on the morning after the final regular season MVC games. Team with the better net rating will receive the higher seed. The net will not be used if fewer than four D1 non-conference games are played by each tied team. So basically, Loyola is going to have to win the league outright in order to be the number one seed at Arch Madness. And it can happen. I'm not discounting that. It can it can definitely happen. Because Drake, this week, actually it's tonight, they play Evansville in game one of a two-game series at Knapp Center. I think this is going to be a bigger series than people think because Evansville has been, I've said it before, I say it again. They've been the surprise of the league, and Todd Licklider should be in conversation for Coach of the Year. Because, as I told you at the beginning of the year, I didn't think Evansville would win a conference game, and here they are, middle of the pack. Maybe they can be the kryptonite to beat Drake, just like Valpo was. Maybe. One other big storyline in the Missouri Valley. I told you about this initially last week because we didn't know any information and I told you I wouldn't speculate publicly. And I'm glad I didn't. Wyatt Wheeler covers Missouri State for the Springfield News Leader. He's a good buddy of mine, even though he doesn't like the McDonald's in my hometown. But I won't hold that against him. It's a good McDonald's, I promise. This is Wednesday afternoon put this story out. Here's the headline. Four suspended Bradley University basketball players appear on Springfield Police Report. No arrests. And you read beyond the headline here. Four Bradley men's basketball players who were suspended Saturday before a weekend series against Missouri State are named in a Springfield Police Report, though it's not yet clear if a crime occurred. That is a big disclaimer here. Springfield Police spokesperson Jasmine Bailey confirmed to the news leader that Bradley players Elijah Childs, Terry Nolan Jr., Deshaun Henry, and Danya Kingsby appear in a report that was filed on February 13th. Bailey said none of the players were arrested or have been charged with a crime, and the investigation is still active. An incident report obtained by the news leader classified the incident as a sex offense 
That was not rape. Police categorized rape cases separately. The report says the incident took place between 12.45 a.m. and 1.45 a.m. on Saturday at the Town Place Suites in Springfield. The incident was reported at 7.36 a.m. Bradley announced 30 minutes before the Bears and Braves were set to play on Saturday that the four players were suspended, quote, due to violations of program standards. Now, since that report came out, Deshaun Henry has been cleared. He is back active for the Bradley Braves, but Childs, Kingsby, and Nolan Jr. are still suspended. It's an ongoing investigation, so you're not going to hear anything from Bradley. Because legally, I don't think they can say anything. But this situation, to say it's bad is an understatement. And I don't know what's going to come out of this because this is another thing I'm not. I don't want to speculate. I don't want to. I don't want to get into anything. This is serious. I hope it gets resolved. But this is not good for for Bradley, for the players, for obviously feeling for the victim. I don't know what's going to come out of this. From a basketball standpoint, I know basketball's kind of secondary in a situation like this, but from a basketball standpoint, I don't know if these guys will be back for Arch Madness. I don't know what's going to come out of this. But definitely, that was just an update on the situation in Peoria with Bradley. That's what's going on, if you missed it this week. We will continue to follow that story. It's going to be a big storyline around the Missouri Valley, around Illinois. Stay tuned for updates, because be, that is a developing story. But just the big update since that broke, Deshaun Henry is back for Bradley. He was cleared. He's good to go. We'll see what happens with the other three. This week and in the coming weeks, I'm sure. But it's crazy to think, isn't it, that we are almost done with college basketball season? I mean, even in this pandemic year, if you don't know, we live in unprecedented times, in case you haven't heard that before. This season flew. And I did like what the Missouri Valley did with the back-to-back games. The, the two-game series, I love it. Arch Madness is going to be insane. From what I understand, there are going to be fans. At least they're planning on fans. We'll see what happens. Because I know the Blues are allowing fans into Enterprise Center. It's going to be a crazy tournament. We are a little less than a year removed from the craziest Arch Madness in its history. Keep in mind, last year was the 30th anniversary. Who knows what will happen this year. Maybe the Valley will still be... Maybe they can be two, two bids... I'm not entirely hopeful about that, but you never know. But I just cannot believe that we're talking about the end of college basketball already. And the other thing in the Missouri Valley to watch this offseason, Doug Elgin's retiring as commissioner. Makes you wonder who's going to get that job. Who's going to be the new commissioner of the Missouri Valley Conference going forward? I have no idea. I have not heard anything. I haven't heard any potential names. I've heard nothing. I have a feeling those conversations will happen after the year. The other conversations that'll happen in the next few weeks, I'm sure. What players are going to come back for another year? Cameron Crutwig went on 670 the score with Mully and Hall this week, which that was great radio, by the way. If you missed it, go find that podcast. I tweeted it out. It was great radio. He was asked about coming back for another year, and he kind of tap danced around it. He didn't really answer the question. I have a feeling those conversations will happen after the year. As they should. They should not be happening right now. Although Gage Prim at Missouri State said he's coming back. But I, like my buddy Jim Benson said, Mikhail McIntosh told Jim that he was coming back and ended up transferring to Oregon. From Illinois State. We won't know anything until after the year. But those conversations are going to happen sooner rather than later, I'm sure. 
I am out of time. I want to thank all of you for listening this week. We will have a lot of Missouri Valley talk next week as the season wraps up. It's crazy to think about that. We'll also be following spring training and everything else going on in Chicago sports. I didn't even get to the Carson Wentz news. Carson Wentz is not coming to the Bears. Thank goodness Carson Wentz is not coming to the Bears. Talk more about the quarterback carousel next week as well. We'll have a lot in store. Thank you again for listening. Stay safe. Stay healthy. Wear a mask, everybody. I will see you next week here on the Sunday Sports Shootout. Be sure to tune in Believe in Bulls dropping on Wednesday on the Believe Podcast Network. Check my Twitter for that. Have a great week, everybody.